0: The Unofficial Bengals Podcast.
1: Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, this episode's going to be a review of the Ravens game and a preview of the Jets game. Sands is going to stop by with his expert analysis, and we're also going to welcome special guest Mario Malave from Into the Bengals Verse.
0: What's up, Bengal Nation? This is Adrian the Madbacker Ross. And you're listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. day. Week 7 Review.
1: Cincinnati Bengals 41. Baltimore Ravens 17. What are we witnessing here? A 5-2 and two team, first place in the whole AFC? An offense that can score at will? Two of the top young players in the league, the number one passer, the number one receiver, and these are first and second year players. A suffocating defense that stops the run, tackles, is aggressive, gets turnovers, gets sacks. A strong special teams unit with an up-and-coming kicker and a veteran punter. We're making halftime adjustments against great coaching staffs. Man, I had a great time watching this game. My adrenaline was pumping so hard from beginning to end, and because of the fact we were doing so well, It was just so much fun to watch. All right, so let's start off with some general observations from the game. First off, I thought the officiating was great. And it's not due to the fact that they only called a couple penalties on the Bengals. I just like the way that they let the receivers and the defensive backs battle downfield. There wasn't a ton of holding calls in the game. You know, that's always annoying and drive killer like we always talk about. Hats off to the officiating in this game. I hope it continues like that for the rest of the season. It's just, it's no fun to watch a game when the refs are flag happy and you can't even celebrate a big play because you think there's going to be a penalty and there's constant stoppages in time so either way it was it was a good game for officiating and the other big takeaway Lamar not shaking hands at the end of the game come on man when you're whooping the Bengals and you're throwing on the sunglasses at the end of the game and telling jokes on the side you're all willing to shake hands at the end and you know we had your number this game you had a bad game and we beat you I mean be a class act and shake hands. And I I don't dislike Lamar. You think I would? Being a diehard Bengal fan and he's a big rival and has been a Bengal killer. I kind of like him. I think he's a good guy overall. I, I mean, aside from this incident, and obviously he's a great player. But that was really poor that he didn't that he didn't hang around to shake hands with Burrow. And then some other Baltimore stuff. You had the Pernell McPhee dirty hit on Burrow. That was real late. Like I think that's almost finable. Burrow got rid of the ball and. A good second and a half later, he gets popped in the back. His neck jerks back. And I'm glad they threw the 15-yard penalty, and it led to a score. And it was fun seeing McPhee on the sideline getting all mad about it and, you know, feeling the despair of costing his team because, man, that was not cool what he did. And then the Baltimore fans booing the home team again. Four minutes left in the third quarter. Here's a team that's brought you so much success and, and great moments, and they're getting down against a divisional rival, and you're booing them in your home stadium And the other thing I didn't like about Baltimore was the fans were blowing whistles during the game. And I think anyone blowing a whistle from the crowd should be escorted out of the stadium. And you heard it on the 82-yard play to chase, because I watched the play a few times, and I kept hearing, like, what is that whistle? And it was someone in the crowd blowing the whistle right after the ball was snapped to try to mess up the offense. So you know what? Karma got him. 82-yard touchdown, Bengals win. You know, take your whistle and blow it in the parking lot. All right, that's enough of a rant about Baltimore. Let's move on to the game itself. So we come into the game. We know the Ravens have a very good front four and a great confusing pass rush. And what do they do? Every time they line up, there's seven, eight guys on the line. You don't know who's coming and going. They have a bunch of guys that can rush the passer. In addition to that, sometimes they would come up in that look and then bounce back six defensive backs. So they, they really know how to outsmart offenses. And early on in the game, it seemed like it was working, and I thought it was going to be a long day for us on that after that first drive. So let's just quickly run down the first drive and the pressures that occurred. So Hopkins and Jonah got beat on the first play. Burrow has to get rid of it in a hurry. Second play, missed assignment by Mixon. Burrow gets popped. Then Carmen releases Houston on a stunt. He releases him too early. Joe gets hit again. Then they came with a zero blitz. Burrow had to get rid of it quick. It resulted in a high throw. Then... Jonah and Carmen got beat again, and we eventually had to punt, and the crowd was being really loud. I thought that after that first drive, I thought we were in trouble. And it's the coaching, it's the players, everything. We buckled down, we made the improvements, we figured out that confusing scheme, and we were successful for pretty much the rest of the game. You know, Burrow was under heat here and there, but nothing like that first drive. And one of the things we did this game that I think was smart is we were using the H-back and the running back in the backfield to block. So now it's kind of a max protect. You know, you have your front five offensive linemen, you have a tight end, and a running back in the backfield. That's a lot of guys blocking for Burrow. And when you have receivers that can win their matchups, and Burrow gets that kind of protection, it's going to lead to good things. And as you saw, it did. And we ran very little empty this game. You know, that's one of our favorite formations, and I guess... They thought that it wasn't going to work against the Ravens. I didn't see five wide receivers out there a lot. You saw four with a running back blocking, but very rarely did you see five, and that was definitely by design. And again, it was a winning game plan. So that was a good example of us saying, hey, this has worked for us all year, but this five wide receiver set might not work against this team, so we're not going to use it heavily this week. And we have enough other ideas and plays to not have to rely on that formation. And then we never gave up on the run. You know, we were aggressive going into the late third and fourth quarter with the lead. I like the fact that we were throwing the ball around. But by the same token, we also kept the run game alive. And that wears down a defense. It gives you time of possession. It keeps Lamar off the field. It frustrates the defense. And all of those things worked in this game as well. And then the big thing, right? You want to score inside of two minutes. And that's one of the keys to winning games. And we just continuously do it. And we continuously win games. And in this case... We had the late field goal and only gave them the ball back with like a second or two left on the clock. So that was perfect because I knew if we scored early and gave Lamar a minute and a half or so, he might have answered back with his own score. So we did a great job of reacting to their score, which occurred right at the two-minute mark, and then having a successful two-minute drill, draining the whole clock, kicking a field goal to go into the halftime with a lead. So that was an excellent series by us, and it led to good things. And what we did in that last series I'm surprised teams aren't catching on. I mean, inside of two minutes, I think you just have to double chase and forget about everyone else because it seems like that's what we're doing. We threw three times to chase inside of two minutes. And one of those plays was where he came all the way across the field and he ended up hurtling a guy right before he went out of bounds. Really athletic stuff, and it's so fun. As Bengal fans, we're getting so jacked up inside of two minutes because we know it's Jamar Chase time, and it has been. So then we go into halftime, and as a Bengal fan, You're worried. You know, Wink Martindale, Roman, Harbaugh, those are all good coaches. You know they're going to scheme things up in the in the second half, and that's exactly what happened. They came out and scored right away. And as Bengal fans, again, we're getting that feeling, like, oh, here comes the Ravens. You know, it was it was going to be tough to make this last. But I want to give credit to several coaches, not just Coach Taylor, not just Coach Anarumo, who called great games on their own, but the adjustments by Frank Pollock. Think about it the pressure that they were getting in the first half and then the time that Joe had to throw in the second half, I mean, that's players doing better and performing better, but that's coaches making adjustments. So hats off to Coach Pollock. And then you have Coach Hobby, Coach Callahan, Coach Duffner. I think they all all the whole coaching staff. But we forget, you know, when you think about halftime adjustments, you're thinking of the offensive coordinator and the defensive coordinator. I think if you really look deeper than that, the whole coaching staff did their job and got their units playing better in the second half. And Andrews was starting to heat up in that first half. And I was worried that that was the change that the Ravens were going to make and really force the ball into him in the second half. And he did basically nothing. So again, great job with the second half adjustments. And that's something that's winning games for us this year. And I always like to look at the first series out of the locker room when we have the ball. So the Ravens score. Now we're down for the first time all game. And it's a matter of are you going to be resilient? And are you going to stick to that plan that you made up at halftime and come out of the gate and score and that's exactly what we did so here's the breakdown first play play action pass chase for 17 yards so i think that was kind of baiting the ravens thinking like all right they're going to come out of the gate and run it on the first play and we knew hey we're going to fake the run and chase is having a lot of success with those short and intermediate routes this game and there it was 17 yard pass on first down first play of after the half for us then they run mix and left for five yards and i think They run mix and right more than they do left if you break down the numbers. And uh, it was nice to see them go left with him. Again, you know, changing things up a little bit. Maybe they're predicting us to to be going behind Carmen and Reef. In this case, we went behind Spain and Williams. A nice five-yard run on another first down. Sets up a second and short. Then third play, another slant to chase for 21 yards. I mean, turning 12-yard plays into 20-plus-yard plays, that's the way you do it. And so that was the third play coming out. And then the fourth play, we go into the four-wide receiver set, and Uzama scores the big 32-yard touchdown, which kind of broke open the game, and we would never relinquish the lead after that. And then some other observations. I feel that we contain the receivers very well. Marquise Brown did have the big play, but aside from that, he didn't do too much damage. And the same thing with Bateman. He was quiet in the beginning, and then he came alive with a couple big catches, and I was like, oh, that's part of their plan. You know, they were going to save him and then introduce him all at once in this game. And, you know, we, we made sure that he wasn't a factor aside from those couple catches. And then we held Lamar to four third and fourth down conversions. So, you know, a third down conversion or a fourth and one, whatever. Normally, Lamar's going to kill you for quite a few of them every game. And he has done that to us repeatedly. You know, I always go into, into the game saying against him saying, oh, they're going to have a third and 16 and he's going to run for 17 yards. But we limited that in this game. So it, it happened four times. And that was one of the keys to stopping him and getting a victory in this game. And Lamar Jackson was very inaccurate throwing the ball. There were several passes that could have been complete that he was just way off on. And then on to the coaching. Again, we did outcoach them with our adjustments. John Harbaugh has had the best of us for quite some time now. And it was really exciting to see him get outcoached after the half. He wasted that one timeout. I don't know why, you know, in the fourth quarter where they need timeouts, especially when you're behind to try to draw us off sides it, it just didn't make sense so they wasted a timeout he was acting like a baby with the officials all game too and you know how I feel about that I, I'll never blame officials for a win or for a loss and he was just riding those guys constantly during the game and, it, and it's like you know what get your guys to play better then you won't have to yell at the officials and they had the two false starts with eight minutes left in the fourth quarter that's a lack of discipline again changing to the guard here that's what I'm feeling all right, so let's move on to some key plays from the game. So in my opinion, I think every play was key in this game. It was such a, a heavy matchup for first place against a good team on the road. But there was three plays in particular that I thought made the difference in the game. So here we are. The first play, we're in a 3-3 game here. The game could go either way. And what happens? We go to that three tight end set, which has been very successful for us. Teams aren't catching on to it. It's not necessarily a running play when we have three in there with Auden Tate going in motion. And a lot of people will see that play or see that formation and think that it's going to be a running play. So what do we do in this case? We send Tate in motion. Now they think it's going to be a run to the right. We do a play action to Mixon. I mean, all the ingredients of, hey, this is going to be a run. And what happens? Sample gets a nice block on Campbell by redirecting him. Gives Burrow just enough time. Yuzama wide open down the middle. Makes the catch gives the stiff arm to Humphrey, and he knocked Humphrey about five yards off of him, and that's why Humphrey couldn't recover, and then he showed the speed and outraced him to the end zone. So it was nice to see that play at a big time against one of their best defenders, and it was two plays, 80 yards, 37 seconds. That's what this team is doing. We can score very quickly, and the Ravens go up. They're at home. You think the floodgates have now opened. We answer them back in 37 seconds I can't be more thrilled about how this team is playing. Second big play. So now we go to a four-wide receiver set, and you have Uzama as one of those receivers, but he's not tight. He's actually on the line of scrimmage but in the slot. So, you know, if you're going right to left, you have Boyd, then you have Uzama, and then you have Chase. So what do they do? Chase, Chase runs out and delays a little bit and kind of holds his man short. Boyd runs a quick out, gets a bunch of defenders to come up thinking that's going to be the route, and the Ravens lose track of Uzama. They're they're putting him one-on-one on a safety who was late getting over. Uzama catches it, breaks the tackle, runs right through Elliott's tackle. And there it was, another TD. And I think that was the biggest play in the game because that kind of cracked it open. And then the third big play is obviously the most exciting play and that Jamar Chase 82-yard touchdown. I mean, pound for pound, that was the best play of the game. But I think the Uzama TD that happened before this was the most important play in the game. I don't know if that makes sense. So what do we do? We go into my favorite formation with four wide receivers and a running back. Burrow gets a low snap, but handles it, drops back, puts the ball only about 15 yards in the air. Chase grabs it, bounces off two defenders, gets spun around, stays on his feet, and just outraces everybody to the end zone. And Houston was, was running hard. I was surprised that he was that fast, but you're not catching Jamar Chase. A linebacker is not catching Jamar Chase. Three plays, 90 yards, a minute and 39. Again, this team can score quick, and it's going to be deadly. All right, so let's move on to some individual performances from this game, and I always like to start off with Joe Burrow. And let's face it, Burrow and Chase just have that it factor. They're becoming the hottest duo in the league. We have two legitimate stars. We have more than that, but these are the two that are just lighting the league on fire, and people are noticing So Phil Simms is comparing him to Joe Montana, and Joe Burrow's reaction is, let's relax with all that. Let me be me. Classic answer. Just shows that he's focused and doesn't want to get all caught up in the hype and just wants to ball out for this team. So he's showing that he's a top-level quarterback. And again, I could break down all of his throws. You saw him. I saw him. It was just a ton of great throws and not too many bad throws. He's showing escapability. He's throwing on the run. He's calm under pressure and accurate under pressure. A bunch of big throws to Higgins, not just the chase and Yuzama the touchdowns, but he found Higgins a lot when we needed it for some first downs. Everyone got on Joe last year for not hitting the deep ball. This year he's got to be at right at the top of the league in the deep ball. So I knew that wasn't going to be a problem, and obviously you're seeing that it wasn't a problem. And the short and intermediate routes are also working for us. Look at all the slants to chase that were short plays that ended up to be big plays. A couple big plays to Boyd, too. You know, the short and intermediates, the long, he's just doing it all. So on the one sack it was a play action, which is already kinda of putting you behind the eight ball against a good pass rush. Unfortunately, Riley Reef got beat. It forced Joe up in the pocket and pocket was collapsing and then one of the other guys got him. It's hard to contain Calais Campbell all game and I think we did a pretty good job at it. And then the interception, he knows. That's all I'm gonna say on it. He knows. All right, so on to Jamar Chase with his 200-yard game against the Ravens. There was one quote that he had that I wanted to mention to you guys because I I just thought it was a a great quote based on his preparation and his diagnosis of that big play. I had a slant on that play. I knew my release, what I wanted to do before I ran the route. I've been watching Marlon Humphrey's film day and night to get the best idea I can have of him. I know he's such a great corner. I came off the line with some hesitation Then gave it a big burst and cut in on the slant route. I protected myself from any hit. As I was getting hit, my momentum took me into a spin. I kept following the spin and went from there. That's a great diagnosis. I could listen to him talk about his receptions all day based on that. And that's exactly what happened. I I mean, he destroyed Humphrey all game, and that was big. And that's what I said coming in. Just because they have a a big-time corner doesn't mean you can't throw at him. You know, these guys aren't Deion Sanders out there where it's absolute shutdown all the time. Anyone's vulnerable. And if you can show that your number one receiver is beating their all-pro corner, that's a big statement, and that's exactly what happened this game. And it just seems like every time Chase gets the ball in his hands, it's electric. It's exciting. Even the short passes, you're just wondering if he's going to break it. It's a player that's just thrilling to watch. And that's what's going on. These slants are going to open up things for future games because now it's not just, all right, follow him deep and send a safety over top it's like he can kill us with the slant as well, and now that might get teams to bite up on the shorter route, and then that's going to open the deep routes. I mean, there's the sky's the limit with what this guy can do, and Burrow's going to find him repeatedly. And then on to T. Higgins, you know, playing a good number two in this game. He had three or four big first-down conversions, was pretty much catching everything that was catchable, and another big threat that defenses have to account for. Joe Mixon, I think right now only Derrick Henry is running harder than Joe Mixon. He is just lowering his head. No one wants to tackle him. His TD run, it was instinctive. He showed the vision of a great running back. He was quick to the hole. And then it's flat-out speed, power if you want to get in his way. And you could see there were several defenders that were kind of flinching as they knew they had to come up and tackle him. And that's a big statement to make from your running back, and, and we're seeing the results of that in his play. Samaje Piran contributing, as always, too. In the first drive, where it looked like they were swarming us, he had that big reception that led to a first down and kind of flipped field position for us. So that was a big underdog play that we're not really going to highlight because it wasn't a touchdown, and it resulted in a punt on that drive. But that was a, a big play to pin them back as opposed to letting them get the ball around midfield and possibly driving. And then he had the big TD run late, which was excellent what are you going to say on that they were the defense was worn down and he runs through a brick wall straight ahead and then has sneaky speed he's not a fullback he is a halfback he does have halfback speed and you see that from time to time where they can't catch him CJ Uzama you know i was going into this off season and it's way too early to think about that but i was like you know what, what are we going to draft and i'm thinking you you grab an offensive lineman in the first round and maybe a tight end in the second round And after these performances, I don't know. I'm I'm thinking that Uzama could be our guy. He's running good routes. The run after the catch is off the wall, and he's blocking better than ever. So if he continues to play like this, you know, we got ourselves a a number one tight end. And Drew Sample had his best game blocking, too. He had several good blocks, and one on the Uzama touchdown, as we talked about, one on the Mixon touchdown. So he wasn't afraid to stick his nose in there, and he was a big contributor, a big low-key contributor to our success this game. And the Auden Tate mystery continues. It's almost like they just put him in there to run motion and block. And again, I want to see him get the ball more. We're winning, so it's not necessarily something that has to be changed, but he is a good threat, and it would be nice to establish a number four receiver that defenses have to worry about. Offensive line, they played well. You know, in the first half was a little more shaky than the second half, but they really did well against a very confusing front. Jonah continues to have those early struggles in games, and then he settles down, and the same thing happened here. Houston was getting the better of him early on, and then Jonah buckled down and was able to lock down things on the left for most of the second half. And both of those long rushing TDs in the fourth quarter, it wasn't just the interior guys that were blocking. It was the wide receivers were getting blocks, the tackles blocked well on that. So it's nice to see the line gelling, and it's nice to see some power on the inside. You know, Spain and Carmen are very powerful blockers, and it's showing up with these run stats. All right, on to the defense. So the big thing is we held their running backs to 9 rushes, 19 yards. That's huge. We're just shutting down running backs I know Lamar had, I don't know, 70, 80 yards or so, but I mean, that's it. It was a tribute to all levels because it was working on all levels. The contain from the defensive ends, the linebackers staying disciplined, and our two great safeties rush, rushing to the ball and making plays and not letting him break tackles. So that was really a group effort in how we contain Lamar and hopefully the blueprint on how to do this moving forward. So let's move on to Hubbard. I think he had his best game ever as a Bengal. The two and a half sacks are stat worthy, But he did a lot more than that. He was contributing to stopping the run. He was really keeping contain on his side, especially containing Lamar, which we all know was hard. He had the batted ball. So just a real breakout game for Sam Hubbard. Hopefully that continues in the pass rush. He's been great against the run all year. And this was showing that, you know, he has the ability to rush the passer. And a lot of it was hustle, too. It wasn't just blowing his guy up and immediately getting Lamar. It was staying disciplined, never giving up. And... You know, banging in there and getting the sack. So excellent job by Hubbard. And then Hendrickson, I mean, he just ate up Villanueva this game. And he had a big sack. It was a third down play in the third quarter. I mean, the perfect time where a sack was needed. And there's Hendrickson delivering. Whole game being a disruptor, as always. Villanueva had no answer for him. And then when he got held on the one play, he points to the Jumbotron. And that's what I heard about him. I read that he's a really nice guy off the field. And when he gets on the field, he blacks out from adrenaline and aggressiveness, and man, he is just killing it for us. And then once again, the interior defensive linemen, all four of them. Ogunjobi, who looks like he's bouncing back from that knee injury. He had another great game. DJ Reader, Pro Bowl bound, he has to be. He's just setting it up for everybody. And then Tupo and Hill got as many snaps as those two and contributed to a great effort against the run and limiting that middle of the field and pushing the pocket. So the defensive tackles continue to be an amazing low-key weapon for us. And I don't want to forget about Cam Sample, too. He got a bunch of snaps. What I like about him is he keeps his contain, and he did it on several occasions in this game. He didn't let them get outside, and it resulted in negative plays or very short yardage. And those are also silent things that you may not notice but are big contributors. Linebacking-wise, Logan Wilson was showing those instincts that he's been showing all year. And he hit Lamar a couple times hard, and you like to see it. Because I'm always like, no one gets a good shot on Lamar. And Wilson had two of them. And Davis Gaither, a big game for him, five tackles. He had the interception that he almost reeled in. He had the forced fumble that we almost got. So he's like, you know, he's in there playing hard and and contributing to attempting to get turnovers. And as the season goes, those things are going to start swinging our way. And he also had a couple big hits. So excellent breakout game from Davis Gaither as well. And then Bates and Bell and Hilton, all of them just showing a lot of toughness and a lot of low-key plays on preventing big runs from happening. On several occasions, if Von Bell misses his tackle or Jesse Bates is out of position, you're looking at big plays, and they just never seem to be out of position. So again, one of the best safety tandems in the league, and they showed up big in a big game again. Special teams, McPherson with the 52-yarder. Over 50s are no problem for him, and it was a big field goal at the time. It gave us that 3 nothing lead, and it's nice to know that we can rely on him. We don't have to necessarily drive the ball inside the 30 to get a big kick. You know, we can sit on the outskirts and still have a chance to score. And then Huber, his first punt wasn't good. We were punted from, like, the 45, and it just went right into the end zone. No chance. So that's like a, you know, your net yardage there is only like 20-something. But the rest of the game was great. Pinned him inside the 20 several times and, you know, just totally did his job. So everyone's going to have one play that's not great. That happened to be his first one of the game, but he settled down and was the Kevin Huber that we all know and love. And our kick and punt coverage continued to be excellent. There was one lapse where they got a bunch of yards, but against a team like the Ravens that is coached very well on the special teams unit, if you're giving up just one bad play and it's not even that major, I mean, that's an outstanding outing by our coverage units as well. And the last thing I wanted to highlight about special teams, I think we need to get some more production out of the punt return game. I don't really know the options at this point. Darius Phillips has shown he's been reliable catching the ball. He did have one nice return this game, but there's just still too much side-to-side going on, and it's resulting in short runbacks and our punt return game not being a factor. I almost think, and this is just an idea, that maybe you give Puka Williams a shot for a game or two. So that's it. What do you say? I mean, just one of the best wins in a long time for us. And now the Jets are coming. And the way this team's mindset is, I don't see that as a trap game. I just see us continuing the momentum and plowing over the Jets and then getting ready for the Browns. But again, one game at a time.
0: X's and O's with Sans.
1: All right, we're here with Sans. Sans, how are you today?
2: I'm doing pretty good, Frank. How are you doing?
1: Amazing after that win. What are your thoughts on how everything went today?
2: Just a big statement win. I know that's more of a college football term, it seems. But to me, like there's always these type of wins for a team that's come around. You think of the Rams, and before they became the Super Bowl contenders, the year before that, they were, I think, 10, 11-win team and they beat the Seahawks, who were the team to beat in the NFC West, by about 20, 25 points. You look last year, and nobody took the Browns that serious. Even they got swept by Baltimore. They beat Pittsburgh Week 17, but other than that, it was, well, they're a wild-card-type team, and then, boom, they beat Pittsburgh by 20-something points, and then everybody's penciling them in for a possible Super Bowl run. So to me, I think, now, I've... Felt this way for a little bit that they're at least legit playoff contenders and now maybe they're even more than that after that statement win. But uh, one game at a time. But this should turn the tides to the national media, in my opinion, that this team is more than just a scrappy upstart team. This is a legitimate playoff contender and possibly more.
1: Sands, did you see anything in the game? Like What, why, what was the reason for us being so dominant in the second half? Was there anything like X's and O's that you were seeing?
2: I don't even know if it's an X's and O's thing, but it's the Jimmys and Joe's type thing was Jamar Chase just started showing up. Uh, I thought early on in the game, it seemed like the Baltimore cornerbacks were kind of giving the Bengals wide receivers fits. They were really letting them play, letting them grab and push and hold on, and that went both ways. They were calling it very loose today. But then it seemed there was a big play to chase against humphrey right before the half i mean as always chase makes a big play right before the half and then the second half happens and he's just blowing up he had that 80 yard catch and run which i've always thought his ability to run after the catch is underrated nobody seemed to ever talk about it but his legs he's like he's built like a running back and i mean his legs are just so strong that first contact weak contact that doesn't bring him down And he made a spin move, and he stayed on his feet. Great balance, too, and was off to the races. That's just something that he he does. He's always had that type of ability. And to me, the thing that was most impressive from him, because really I think he was what turned the tide for the most part, there was two touchdowns to Uzoma, and I think those were well-designed plays. And then there was uh, T. Higgins making some clutch third-down grabs for first downs. But when I think of Jamar Chase, it's just... I had questions coming into the season. Like, he gave up his chest too much on the release. And Marlon Humphrey coming into this game is a guy that's really, really good at jamming guys. And he was working, he must have been working on his release because he was blowing Humphrey off of the line. I mean, instant separation, catch the ball, and the ability to run after the catch helps that too. But 200 yards, insane game from him.
1: What do you think defensively? I saw that we were getting a lot of sacks on Lamar. What, what was going on there?
2: I'll have to wait for the coaches film to come out, but what I, the theory for me is that the coverage is really good because a lot of those sacks are coming four seconds after the snap, and that's not, not going to take anything away from the pass rushers because when you're playing a Lamar Jackson, you have to stay. You can't rush him like you can most guys. You can't run around the edge and try to bend and get him that way because you're opening up a rush lane for him, so you really have to kind of conscientiously rush him and they did a good job of that but that means it's going to take you three four seconds to get there rather than the two and a half three seconds and the coverage really held up uh chidobe wuzie got tested it felt like quite a bit and he held up the pass rushers stayed in their lanes and did a really good job of doing that and then getting the sack
1: excellent sands enjoy the win and how do people find you on social media
2: You find me at Bengals underscore sands on Twitter.
1: Week eight preview. Cincinnati Bengals at New York Jets. First play. Left to right you have this. Chase on the outside. Boyd in the slot. Uzama at tight end. Higgins wide on the other side. Mixon in the backfield. Ball snapped play action fake to Mixon they probably think we're running it on first down and you just have twin slants you have Chase run the slant from the outside you have Boyd run the slant to the middle of the field and you hit whoever's open and I'm probably predicting that's going to be a first down right off the bat next play similar formation go right to play action again and let's do an over under let's have one wide receiver going deep and the other wide receiver cutting underneath him with either a slant or an out hit the open guy Two play actions in a row, establishing the pass early. Let them know the air attack is coming. Play three, shotgun, get the ball to Jamar Chase. I would say just try to go downfield and really get that secondary on its heels. Again, just like the Lions game, if you break a long touchdown in that first drive against a team that's really struggling, they're not coming back from that. So there it is. Two play action passes and then a deep ball to Chase. Let's go up 7 nothing real quick. All right, so on to some offensive strategy. The Jets are 24th in points allowed, so they're a team that does give up a lot of points. We're a team that scores a lot of points. That's a good recipe. And although I said let's throw the ball early on that first series and get them on their heels, I still think this game should be a 50% mix of pass and run. They're vulnerable at the at the linebacker level. Their defensive line isn't the greatest. Their second, I mean, pick your poison again. Where you can go anything on these guys. But let's keep mixing in there. Let's get some time possession. Let's not expose Burrow to any crazy hits, and let's let the pass game light it up and let Mixon and Piran do what they do. Some more strategy, Chase, Chase, Chase. He's so hot right now, you want to keep that momentum going. It will break the defense, and it will totally boost our offense if Chase gets another couple big catches. So I say get him the ball early and often. And then no mental lapses in protection. Not even early in the game, no learning curve. Let's just keep Burrow clean this whole game. The last thing you want is a burrow injury against a one in six Jets team. Concerns? They don't have a lot of marquee players on defense. Quinn and Williams is a very good defensive tackle. They're not that bad on the interior of the defensive line. Marcus May is a very good safety. And again, he's not having his best year either, but someone that you have to be conscious of. And, you know, he could be in there doubling Chase a lot this game and, you know, trying to lay some big hits in there. So he could be someone that you have to watch for. And then on the edge, they have John Franklin Myers, who's a pretty good run stuffer from the outside, decent pass rusher. You know, he could be someone that we have to think about as well. But aside from those three, there's not that many players that scare me on that Jets defense. Defensive strategy, I live in the New York market, and they are just killing the Jets. They haven't scored a first-quarter point all year, and they're 32nd in points scored, and their starting quarterback is out. That doesn't bode well for them in this game. So what do we do? They're going to have Mike White, their backup, who's only played one game. But I think what we do is we continue to get pressure out of our front four and limit those running backs and force them to have to throw with an inexperienced quarterback who hasn't had a lot of production yet. So some other strategic ideas, you go with some single high safety with Bates back there protecting against the deep ball because they have some receivers that can go deep, and that might be their fluke, you know, just kind of wing it up there and hope that you get a big deep ball. But by bringing... Bates up as a single high, you're bringing Bell into the box and really extra stopping that run game and maybe some confusing blitzes with him and Hilton. And then I say we copy some of what the Ravens did with that front seven where you have seven, eight guys lining up at the line of scrimmage and you just don't know who's coming on any given down. This might be a good week to kind of implement that and see what kind of success that we can have with that scheme. We were skilled enough and prepared enough to stop the Ravens but I don't know if the Jets are going to be skilled and prepared enough to stop the Cincinnati front seven, especially with some confusing looks. Concerns? I don't know. We always seem to have trouble with quarterbacks who haven't played in the league much. So Mike White, I mean, could this be his breakout game? I really doubt it, but that's something to think about. You don't have a lot of tape on him. He's going to just be desperate. He's probably going to be throwing the ball up for grabs a lot. Carter's a decent back, but I think with the way Joby and Reeder and the defensive tackles are playing, I don't know how much of a success he's going to be this game but he is a player you have to watch and they have a bunch of highly drafted wide receivers who aren't really doing anything yet it's a combination of the offensive line not playing that great a rookie quarterback and maybe the guys maybe the wide receivers aren't fully there yet and aren't doing their jobs like they should but I mean on paper Elijah Moore Denzel Mims Corey Davis those are really speedy wide receivers that were highly ranked coming out of college I think all three of them are kind of waiting for breakout games, and you know I don't think this is going to be the game for it with our secondary. But again, they have a lot of speed, and they were skilled players coming out of college, so it is people that you have to watch. And then Jamison Crowder out of the slot. He's banged up. I'm not sure what's going on with him, but he's also a potential to do some damage, and especially if the quarterback's not having a lot of time to throw, he might be looking to just dump it off to his running backs and his slot-wide receivers. Offensive line-wise, the left of the line seems a little bit better than the right, but they were Zach Wilson was running for his life when he was in there. So they're even though on paper you're thinking they're gonna be okay, they weren't really showing it in the games. My prediction for the game, I don't like to overlook teams because every team has NFL players and superstars and schemes and you know, they're game planning for us just as hard as we're game planning for them. And I certainly don't want to disrespect any teams, especially my mother's favorite team. Bengals 34-10 the Jets are either going to score one touchdown early based on their script and then they can't repeat it you know how sometimes bad teams do that they score early you think it's going to be a game and then they don't do anything for the rest of the game I'm feeling like it's going to be like that for the Jets either one really early touchdown or one really late touchdown and not much else and I think we're just going to be scoring at will and I'm feeling like this is a game where we're going to be pulling the starters again in the fourth quarter giving everyone a rest
0: Unofficial Bengals Podcast would like to welcome Mario Mulave.
1: All right, we're here with Mario Mulave from Into the Bengalverse. Mario, how are you today?
0: Man, I'm doing great, especially after yesterday. I couldn't feel any more excited about this team, especially given that my friend group, you know, given I'm from Connecticut, my friend group is nothing but Steelers and Patriots fans. So, man, I feel like I just climbed to the top of Mount Everest, <laughs> talking about this team blabbering about this team because we've come a long way you know only seeing five wins in the last two years Uh, you know I I honestly feel like every Bengals fan should deserve to feel great and uh, pretty much brag about this team given how well they've playing.
1: yeah that's how I felt after yesterday's game I was just amazed that it went so well so let me get your opinions on two things one how the game went and how you felt during the game and two how you're feeling about the Bengals for this season and moving forward in this season
0: man that's a good question so I'll honestly start with your second point because before the season I think we were all realistically saying you know we're in, this, we're in the you know the third year of a rebuild you know I think now that Zach Taylor finally got his guys the bros come off the torn ACL I think we were all expecting Cleveland adding more talent to their roster like they them and the the Ravens were going to pretty much be on top of the division and pretty much own it, and we was just going to be competitive in these close games and just somehow find ways to lose them and then Zach could possibly be on his way out, whatever the case may be. And given that the way that Jamar has just come into this offense and just made the offense just explosive and the way the defensive chemistry has just just worked, I think the team truly looks like one of the elite top seven teams right now in this league. I mean, I don't know how anyone else can deny that as of right now. I think playoffs are the expectation now. Before the season, it was around seven, eight wins. I personally said if the team can play as well as I think they can, 10-plus, but everyone called me delusional. I don't think anyone's saying that right now. But in terms of the game, before the game, I'm not going to lie, we, we've been owned by Lamar these past five years. And people say the whole own thing. I personally think that's a different story if, let's say, we were at, we had the roster we did yesterday and Lamar was still 5-0. and I mean, we were going through a rebuild. That's like if Tom Brady was going against these Jets right now in New England, you know? Like, yeah, you beat them, but like, you expect to win. Like, if, and you also expect to lose if it came to that. So I just think, you know, that, that storyline was a little eh for me. But regardless, I, I just think <laughs> before the game, I was cautiously optimistic. I was super nervous, though, because given how well the Ravens have played, and this was a true prove it game for us. And, we, got, we obviously pretty much bully-balled these guys. And like I said, I was cautious optimistic, but I was nervous because, you, you know, anything could happen. The Zach Taylor road game dilemma, like the whole road game record, the whole uh, whatever case of be, Burrow against the Blitz last year, Baltimore and uh, Don Wink-Martindale. It was just a lot to the game. I just think that as soon as Burrow, after the second drive, so the first drive, there was a blitz, a blitzer that just came right through the middle, and Burrow had to roll out the pocket and do an incomplete ball, I think. Uh, if, if I recall that correctly, and I was just like, oh, already? And then just something clicked with this team where I was just like, me as a fan, and I just think everyone around who who's a Bengals fan and the team was like, okay, we, we see this correctly. We we got these guys. And then just boom, one after another. We kicked, well, first we punted, and then they, they punted. We kicked the field goal, they kicked the field goal, and it was just match after match. And I'm not going to lie, after this, once the second half started and Hollywood brought on that touchdown, that was a beautiful throw by Lamar. You know, when we were down 17-13, I was a little nervous just thinking, I was just questioning, does this team have what it takes to answer back? And then all of a sudden, right after that, touchdown after touchdown, point after point, everybody was eating, whether it was Uzama on National Tight Ends today, whether it was Jamar having that insane catch, which there was two things that they reminded me of symbolic-wise. When A.J. Green had that insane touchdown, where he shrugged off this, uh, the two Baltimore safeties and then had that insane touchdown, I believe it was in like 2014 Uh, And then also when Lamar had that Houdini touchdown against us uh, on his MVP season, you know, Jamar kind of had the similar spin, like spinning out defenders and running for a touchdown. So I just thought that was how funny how two worlds collide. And I was questioning who was going to be the new Raven killer, given how we've had that, whether it's Mr. 4th and Twelve Tyler Boyd, whether it was A.J. Green. And I think it's safe to say that Jamar's the the new Raven killer. You know, he's an absolute stud. I don't think anybody... Storm coming into this year dominating the way he has. I mean, we all had high expectations, but this man has taken the definition of what it's like to be the fifth overall pick to the next level. I've always been one to say that Burrow and Herbert are the two quarterbacks that have ruined expectations for rookie quarterbacks. Look how people are just saying, get Tua out of there or trade him. I mean, I wish the best for Tua, but, you know, like Burrow and Herbert are clearly better than him and playing at an all caliber level right now the offense looked like an absolute problem and it's crazy because they are finally hitting their stride and the of all games against Baltimore you love to see that, the way the defensive line is getting that push, they tied the all-time uh, games or the all-time sack many times Lamar has been sacked in a game which is insane with five, Trey Hendrickson looks like a stud, as much as I love Carl Lawson, I think Trey Hendrickson is proving the team right for signing him, guys like Mike Hilton changing the culture in the locker room Von Bell and Jesse Bates, best safety tandem in the league Uh, If you ask me, and just Chida Bayouzi playing like a top-ten corner, the Bengals have spent their money so well. And then also you have a guy like DJ Reader. You know, he's playing like an all-pro nose tackle, even though the stats won't show. He's clearly stopping and impacting the run against all these teams. And, man, I just feel so grateful as a fan. I'm so appreciative of this team. I think they're only going to get better from here. And what better way to prove that you can handle success than to have a game against these Jets coming up? I mean, we should all expect that that has to be a win. You know, I definitely know where I stand on this team. I expect them to make the playoffs, and honestly, given how we beat Tennessee last year, I believe we're way way better than how we were last year. I think we can fare well against them. I think we can fare well against anybody really in the AFC. I question how we can handle the Bills, given we don't play them this year. So if we were to make the playoffs, maybe we play them. This could truly be the year where we break the streak. I'm very hopeful, cautiously optimistic. And God forbid uh, we did lose in the first round. I mean, I'm not going to be worried because playoffs are so out of the picture. But we got the QV, and the way this team's playing, hey, anything's possible. The AFC's wide open.
1: Well, you know what? I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. There's there's so much there that I wanted to comment on. Um, first off, I'm in the New York market, so I'm seeing what's going on with the Jets. That should obviously be a win. And But the, the further thing that they're talking about is how – there, there always seem to be on this rebuild and this multi-year plan with a quarterback. And we're lucky. And just like you said about Bur- Burrow and Herbert, they both worked out right away. It's almost like you can tell if it takes a guy three years to start becoming a dominant quarterback, I don't know if he's ever going to be that top 10 quarterback. When you have guys like this coming out of the gate and playing so intelligently and playing so special, it shows that we, I believe that we do have a franchise quarterback here for the long term. Now, As far as the AFC goes, the only thing that worries me is... I hear you on Buffalo. They seem like they're... I mean, I I think we're the best team in the the conference right now, but I'm biased. But Buffalo is kind of like the top dog. We all know that. So we don't really know what to expect out of them without seeing them. So they're going to be a problem. And I like the fact that you mentioned that they are a problem because we're not going to be seeing them during the season. But we are going to be seeing the Chiefs. We are going to be seeing the Browns. We are going to be seeing the Ravens again. So those are good points on... You know, we're going to get a taste of how these teams are during the regular season, so there's not going to be as big of a surprise in the playoffs. And the Bills kind of, maybe even the Titans, I guess, those are the two teams that can surprise us because we haven't seen them during the season. But the other thing is, I don't want us to peak at the wrong time. We're obviously peaking right now. It's it's due to the fact we're playing at a high level. Everything's gelling. We haven't had any really crazy injuries. So we're peaking right now. You find that the teams that really make a push in the playoffs peak towards the end of the season. I'm going to just get that thought out of my head, and I'm going to hope that it's one continuous peak from this point on. But if you had to ask me any concerns about the AFC, I guess that would be one of the things, is that I'm hoping that we don't, we're don't we not peaking at the wrong time.
0: And, and that's a great thing that you point out, because I have a friend who's a Steelers fan. He said, you guys probably played your best game that you'll play all year. And I was saying, okay, so let's say we plateau, I mean, if that's the best, if that's as good as it gets, and you can somehow continue that every game, I'll take that any day of the week. And obviously, you don't want to peak too soon. You know, you see it with the undefeated teams, like how Pittsburgh was last year. Arizona's undefeated right now. But they looked the part. I mean, but who knows? I mean, like you said, you can go on a hot streak and uh, pretty much peak too early and then lose in the first round or whatever the case may be. So obviously, you don't want that. As much as it'd be nice to win every game, you know, you can't. You know, it's the NFL. It's never going to happen. We're not going to win out and necessarily win this bowl just like that. We may hit a few lumps, you know. Before, I also think teams like the Chiefs, as bad as they are, you can't count them out. Who knows? They can hit their stride and finally and can click once once we play them. If if their uh, struggles last that long, you know, the Browns. You know, they've been decimated with injuries. We are so lucky to be as healthy as we have been in a long time. The injury bug has just pretty much hit every team but us. And. We're, we're very greedy as fans. You know, we always want the best for our team because our team is so great right now, and we don't have Osai, which I feel like not many people are talking about enough. Like, imagine if we had him with this defense. It would just make the defense go from where it is out even to even bigger heights, greater heights, because of how well his motor is, along with Hubbard, along with Hendrickson. So it's just crazy how well the defense is playing, and then we get to add a guy like him. Next year I think the offense is gelling well. I think the offensive line communication is getting better. I think when you we had a guy like Dalton, the problem with the team is, you know, he knew we were gonna be good, but you know, Andy Dalton was too much of a nice guy. I just I love Dalton, but I just don't think that he would have the knack to wanna, you know, truly make this team believe and keep him in check every week. When you have a guy like Burrow, when you have a guy like Brady, like I I you know, we can't compare Burrow to necessarily the goat, but when you have a guy like Burrow you can tell he holds his team that's accountable. You can tell that everyone wants to buy in every week. And I've been saying it on my page. Burrow's been saying it since LSU and I feel like all Bengals fans have bought into the mentality. Gotta go one and up every week. Just, there's not really any peaks or downs with this team because if you're taking it one game at a time none of the games before matter none of the games ahead matter what matters is this week and this week only so if you have that mindset and the quarterback like burrow i think everyone for the most part is not saying fires Zach Taylor anymore he has his guys he's proven us wrong Lou and arumo's proven us wrong i thank this team and i thank you tobin and i thank mike brown for making the right hire like you clearly see the path and how this team is going to get better from here on out burrow looks like a qb that's going to be a problem in the afc for as long as, as we have him for, hopefully we can have him and all quarterbacks pretty much in Burrow's class and on eat healthy and do all the right things to pretty much play as long as Brady, even though he's an outlier. But like I said, the whole peaking thing, you know, the biggest team's bought in, the way Burrow is locked in, I just I don't see that happening. You know, and then eventually when you build one week at a time, then that's when you worry about the playoffs once once that time comes. for this week we're worried about the Jets. We're not worried about any of the storylines. We just gotta lock in and take care of, uh, I believe his name's Mike White, I honestly have no clue, but that's that's a great thing if you don't even know what quarterback you're playing next week.
1: Yeah, Mario, I think you bring up a good point, and that is the key to not having a peak or a valley at any point in the season if you take it one game at a time, and we showed that when we played the Lions, you know, that was a big game of like, are we going to play down to our competition, is that going to be a trap game, and no, we ate him up. So if we carry that same mentality this week and you know don't overlook the Jets and play them and prepare as hard as as if they were the Baltimore Ravens, then we're not going to have a letdown here either. And I guess if we take it one game at a time and stay healthy, the sky is the limit.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. We'll see what this uh, the rest of the year has to offer. Hopefully, Jamar becomes an all-pro receiver. Bro makes a Pro Bowl. You know, Hall Pass in defense, Hendrickson's Pro Bowler. I'm mean, gonna get this team multiple Bengals from offense, defense, special teams. Uh, pretty much make that top 100 list. Like you said, sky's the limit. We'll see what this team has to offer.
1: Excellent work, Mario. How do people find you on social media?
0: Yeah, you can find me on YouTube. That's where I post my videos and I recaps and previews at into the Bangleverse. You can also find me on Instagram, same name at into the Bengalverse. I'm also new to the Twitter world, at Bengal First on Twitter. And then on Instagram, I also like to give game previews, game recaps, thoughts. But yeah, that's where you can all reach me. AFC North standings.
1: The Bengals are currently 5-2 and two and in first place in the AFC North over the 5-2 and two Ravens because we have the head-to-head and the better divisional record. The Browns are in third place at 4-3, and and the Steelers are in last place at 3-3. The Bengals are currently the number one seed in the AFC. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode is going to be a review of the Jets game and a preview of the Browns game, and we're going to bring in some special guests as well. I'd like to thank @bengals_highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music, definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The
0: Unofficial Bengals Podcast.